got talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Hey, welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It is the BFF's recruiting podcast, Buckeye Friday Futures. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com, along with Stephen Means, the BFF, and Doug Maurice, a special guest appearance by Doug Maurice. His first appearance on the, the newly minted BFFs. Now, well, I'll try to figure out what I am here, because it's not like I moved here. I've lived here the whole time. I'm just, and it's not like, I don't know that it's like the guy is, I think I'm the big brother. It's like, you guys are hanging out in the basement. And it's like, dude, what, get your own friends. Why are you down here? And I'm like, you guys watching a movie? You guys want to hang out a little bit? You know, like, whatever you guys, I can, I can go buy some Cheetos if you want. So it's kind of that, that I'm like the big brother hanging out, like kind of because I don't realize that I'm not wanted here. No, or no, you're the friend who has the car. Oh, yeah, that could be that. I'm like, I'm like 19 and I'm only a junior in high school. And everybody's like, well, but he's got a car. So, okay, I guess you can get a stuff that high schoolers do. You guys want to get some milkshakes? You guys want to get some milkshakes afterwards? You can go out and get some milkshakes. You know what? I'll buy too. I'll buy. That's true. I'll fly and buy. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. milkshakes. Or or maybe you just turned 16 and like part of like the freedom and power of having the license now and having access to the car in a weird way is that you get to drive your little brother and sister around or whatever. That lasts for like a a two weeks, but it like kind of is part of like getting to that, that, that stage of maturity. Getting your license is actually the most overrated experience in the world for that exact reason. You enjoy it, and then all of a sudden your parents start sending you on errands every other second. My daughter's going through that right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, another teenager of note this week in Ohio State. Speaking of teenagers, was- yeah. speaking of weird conversations about teenagers, let's talk about recruiting. This is-, is receiver uh, Kion Graves, Grays, excuse me, who committed to Ohio State on, what was it, Sunday morning? Uh, was here for sort of his own unofficial visit, a visit that he put together because he wanted to come see the campus, had basically already was locked up for Ohio State, but wanted to come in and do his due diligence and, and finish things off and, and actually be here before he made that commitment. And so this was not a surprise, Stephen. How, you know, w- what do you think was the, kind of the determining factor when you, you, you talked to him uh, kind of coming into this weekend? Why was this the place that he ended up? Brian Hartline's development of wide receivers and not just uh, obviously he's getting five stars and top 100 guys now, but Terry McLaurin is still the, this pitch, the selling point for Brian Hartline, because that's a kid who was a kind of a middle of the road recruit and has developed into literally one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And it took him a little longer to get to that point. It took him five years in college, but that idea of that's the, the epitome of what Brian Hartline wants from his wide receiver unit but also he's just seen some guys from that Southwest area come up here and get it done. Garrett Wilson from Texas, uh, Jackson Smith and the Jigba from Texas. Brian Hartline just has a very large net that he can cast out there into the ocean and go fishing with. But this was, was never a surprise from the moment he got an offer, all momentum shifted towards Ohio state. Even when he was still committed to Arizona, it was very clear that Ohio state had kind of found a kid early who was ranked in the five hundreds. And just like they found with Jackson Smith, Nick Jigba, a lower rated kid, when they offered him, started shooting up the rankings. And by the time he committed, he's just outside the top 100. So it'll be interesting to see. He's at a school where he can have the same type of impact that Jackson Smith, Nick Jigba had his senior year and, you know, kind of put his best bidding in to be a five star by the time he actually signs a piece of paper in, in December. 
he is a little bit of a departure from the way that Ohio State receiver recruiting has been going, right? Like we, it's been a lot of guys. Uh, they get three straight years. They've had the number one receiver recruit in the entire nation and a lot of other guys who are like five stars or top 100 kids. And he's probably on his way there, but certainly, you know, up until recently was on a, a different plane. Like it was, was that guy that we talked about a couple weeks ago on the recruiting pod, right? Doug about like guys that they find that um, are farther down the list, but usually get them early before they blow up into something else. So listen, this, I mean, this is just how this works. I'm going to assume this is how this worked with this one. Pantone finds guys and then Pantone looks at film. They look at, and I guess there maybe were fewer camps with this class, or whatever, because of all the pandemic stuff, but they look, they look for explosion numbers. They look for great numbers at camps. They get on to guys. They just, they look through all kinds of film and then they look for something on film. They look for a spark on film. And Urban Meyer told me recently that, that he trusts Mark Pantone more than anybody in the business. He said the last five years that he was here, they wouldn't take a kid if Pantone didn't want him. He trusted Pantone more than the assistants. And Urban said no other recruiting department in the country works this way. That Pantone is the GM. Pantone is the talent finder. And he'll find the talent, and then he takes it to the position coach. And he'll say, what do you think of this kid? And now the, the position coach, this is he's got to make his money on this, right? So then Heartline has to see what he thinks. And then you start working in concert. But I think, I think Mark Pantone is the point person on almost all this stuff. So something's got to flash on film. And then along the way, as we've talked many times, they'll find things. Are there connections? Are there any Ohio roots? Is there any kind of thing? Do we have a little in here? Once you identify the thing on film, then you find out, is it worth our time to recruit this kid? Or is it like, hey, he's in Texas. He's a Longhorns fan. He has no connection to the Midwest. I mean, he'll put us in his top 12, but we're not going to spend time here. But then that's when Heartline gets to work. But I think why like, why are they on this kid this early when maybe he's not a top 100 kid or whatever? It's because Mark Pantone found him and thought he was good. And that's how it works here. Like that's, I think, almost the answer to everything. Even Travion Henderson, right? Tony Alford did yeoman's work on Travion Henderson. Pantone pointed him out. At the start, and they say, what do you think? And then they start the conversation. So that position coach matters a lot. And Heartline is in the business of once he decides he likes you, he gets you. Right? Hasn't lost yet. But how does he decide that he likes you? I think it's Mark Pantone sometimes, a decent amount of the time, bringing a kid to him, especially if it's not a top 100 kid. But we have to tell this other Brian Hartline story from Sunday about Graves that I sent to the texters. That is one of the great, it's one of the great Twitter exchanges I've ever seen. So I'll look it up while you guys talk. But the answer to why this guy like this is Pantone. And who he is, to be exact, to be frank, is he's Chris Olave, who got an offer a year before signing day instead of two months before signing day. And actually, when you talk to Keon, he'll tell you straight up that's what it is. If you looked at their 247 sports profiles before, obviously, Keon started shooting up the rankings. Both were in the 300s at the point that Keon got the offer. They're both 6'1", 170 pounds. If you watch their film, a lot of what Chris Olave's strengths were as a freshman or what Keon's strengths are right now, a deep threat who is extremely fast and gets off the line of scrimmage like with a snap. It's, and so that's really what the selling point was is you see Chris, they looked at him and said, you see Chris Olave do that. 
again, except we found you. And they probably said the same thing to Jackson Smith and the Jay, but just added a little bit of Garrett Wilson in it because he's from Texas. But the idea of you're six foot, six foot one, 170, 180 pounds, smaller kid who's got speed. Look at what Chris Olave just spent the last three years doing. Come do that with us. But do you see him in this offense? And I know we're going into, we've talked many times about how the Ohio State wants to kind of breed this versatility in the receiver room and have guys who can be multiple things. So you don't even have to worry as much about the XYZ of it. But do you see him being more of a Chris Olave kind of receiver down the line? Or do you see him being more of a Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba kind of receiver down the line? I think more Chris, just because in order to be what those other two are, it's what you do after the catch more than it is what you do before it. And he, he's his playmaking ability is his ability to get open downfield more than it is his yards after catch. And that's I think that the, even if they all are between five ten and six two, that's going to be the differential between who ends up in the slot, who ends up outside. Is where where do you get most of your work done? And he does it before the catch. So let me, I found the tweet thing. I, I, I've got to talk about this is what happens when a kid commits on a Sunday morning, which is always like a little bit to me of like, I don't know. Again, I keep Marcellus Jones committed on Christmas and it's like, what are you doing? Like I said, I don't acknowledge commitments on Christmas. That's fine. You can maybe have decided to announce your imaginary commitment that like, doesn't, you didn't sign anything. I'm not acknowledging it on Christmas. G Scott did it too. Yeah. Now like, on, I, it's not like cool. Nine like, o'clock in the morning. It's not cool. I mean, it's not funny. It's it's insulting to the world. Like, you're not that important. Recruit. No offense. Don't announce on Christmas. So Sunday morning is not like that, but it's not like he just decided Sunday morning. He announced it Sunday morning. Sometimes people are at church on Sundays, right? I mean, that's kind of a normal thing. So what, are you supposed to, like, leave church because a kid committed? Are you supposed to – now you're, you're three hours behind on it, so it's fine. They can do what they want, but we don't have to acknowledge it on their timetable. No offense, teenagers. But anyway, Keenan Bailey, who's one of the quality control assistants for Ohio State, has been around for a long time, used to work with the receivers, now works with the quarterbacks. Like, a, I don't know, half an hour, an hour after Graves committed on Sunday, he tweeted, he's never lost a battle, hashtag happy Sunday. And in the moment, it was like, yeah, baby, Brian Hartline, never lost a battle. Oh, yeah, be heart getting it done. And a fan on Twitter responded with Troy Stellato, which was this receiver in the class of 2019, right? 2019, Stephen? Uh, no, 2020. 2020? 2020? 2021. 2021. Really? Oh, sorry. 2021, who was between Ohio State and Clemson at the end and picked Clemson. Now, it's one of those things. I mean, did Ohio, was he really? I mean, I think, I don't know. I guess Ohio State would have taken him. Yeah, but Ohio State kind of wanted – they got a Mecca, so. It's one of those things, right? They were fine. Who knows? It's always one of those things. I also don't like to play the game of every time you lose a guy, the answer is, well, we don't want him anyway. But anyway, so – but it's possibly a point. It's like never lost a battle. Text the, Not a texter. A tweeter says Troy Stellato on a Sunday morning. And Keenan Bailey responds, Coach Hart hardly never misses, and I guess he's got a beard – but I was most definitely referring to Jesus Christ on that one, <laughs> which was just like that. Was there a better encapsulation of like the, what Ohio state football is? It's like that it is a religion that it's like, he's never lost a battle. It's like, I'm sorry. You're referring to uh, the Lord and savior of Christianity or the Ohio state receivers coach. Cause it could go either way. He's never lost a battle. 
it just was, oh, like if you wanted to write it, if you were like writing a book about like why Ohio State football is like a religion, it's like, well, this is like the, the foreword. I couldn't I couldn't believe that it actually really happened, because guess what? When I read Keenan Bailey's quote, I thought I thought he was talking about Brian Hartline, too. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> right. 100%. It's like, well, it's like, well, well, it's 1030 on a Sunday and they just got to commit. What else would he be talking about? What matters more than Ohio State receiver recruiting? It's like, I don't know like your personal faith it's like i guess maybe so anyway what a story what it, a story what makes it great is uh, he's got a beard i guess when brian hartline has a five o'clock shadow at best yeah well, <laughs> but yeah no especially in the world where it's not just mark pantoni tweeting out the boom it's the entire staff yeah in the, the street everybody tweets out the boom and then you get the carry combs three million hashtags yeah it, uh, it was an easy yeah. mistake, and I'm pretty sure it was still about Hartline. It was just a good save. Oh, that could be too. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that I mean, his, yeah. his yeah. devout uh, beliefs are sincere. Yeah, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but, you know, it's just funny. It Very is, funny. So this would set up for Brian Hartline to stay undefeated. And Jesus, but Brian Hartline also to stay undefeated through 2022. <laughs> this is the second receiver commit in this class, along with Caleb Burton, who is the number one national recruit as a receiver in this class. Is Ohio State done with receivers for 2022? And then what does this mean for recruiting beyond that? I think they're done aggressively, uh, you know, trying to pursue receivers. I, I think two is probably the limit in this class, just given what they've done the last couple of years. But there are some names if they do maybe at the end of the they can take their time a little bit. So maybe close to the signing day, if they feel like they got an extra spot and they want to add somebody, there are some names. CJ Williams out of modern day, same high school as Rajon Davis in the 2021 class who ended up choosing USC and Damani Jackson, number one corner in the 2022 class ended up choosing USC. But that might be a Texas lean, you know, especially now that Malik Murphy's tied in there at Texas. That might be where he ends up. Caleb Brown out of Chicago. He, he's high on Ohio State. He's Ohio State's one of his top schools. But the big one was Kojo Entwi. He was uh, for a long time favorite to Ohio State along with uh, Keon. But his he's from Georgia, and that momentum has since shifted towards the Bulldogs. But if it's going to be one of those three, if later on in the process they do decide to bring in another guy, but I would lean no. I think they're done at two with this class. What is next in this class? This is eleven known commitments for this class. We've talked about, you know, maybe being 2021 somewhere in there might be the number they end up on. Where do you think they go next as far as commitments here? I think tackle, uh, whether it's Zach Rice or Keontae Goodwin, both of those guys have narrowed their list down. I think in the next two or three months here, we'll we'll probably see that tackle uh, um, decide to join this class because that's still the number one most important position in this class. I mean, you can throw Caden Curry as well as a defensive tackle. He's been favored to Ohio State for a while, but – he might take his time, but I think tackle either Zach Rice or Keonta Goodwin probably should be in this class in the next six months if one of them decide, decides to do that. But those are the top two targets there as Zach Rice being the number one tackle in the country and Keonta Goodwin continuing to rise up and it's probably going to be a five star when it's all said and down after you know dropping 100 pounds over a year. Let's get that. That's I think we. At one point, like it was in three months. No, it was over a year. He dropped a hundred yeah. pounds and got back down to normal, to, to offensive line playing size. And so, it, one of those two are the people I keep my eye on over the next two or three, four months here. I do remember responding somewhat incredulously in the moment to that when you said that he lost 125 pounds in like three months or two yeah. months or something like that. And I said, "No, he didn't. 
He didn't have Ebola. It was, over. It was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Ebola. He didn't just he didn't just waste away overnight. It, it was a process, but uh, but he has turned himself into an interesting prospect. Can I ask a receiver question before we leave that topic? You can definitely. I mean, this is just this is what you know kids throw in shade or whatever. But Ken Talley, who's a Penn State commit, tweeted something out, or maybe it was on Instagram. One of the texters sent it along. I know people have seen it that. Uh, he was saying like, hey, is Penn, maybe Penn State's going to end up with the number one class in the country. And somebody said, oh, Ohio State. And he, he said something about, well, isn't Caleb Burton going to flip to Oregon? And isn't Desan McCullough going to go play with his dad at Indiana? So it's just recruiting jibber jabber. You know, Desan McCullough came out forcefully immediately after his dad got hired in yeah. Indiana. It was like, I'm playing at Ohio State. I'm a Buckeye. I'm a Buckeye. I'm a Buckeye. But I mean, I think I mean, that would not surprise me if that percolates under his recruitment until he signs his name on the line because your dad worked for another school in the same conference. You know, just I mean, that's just how stuff works. Stephen, like is is the Caleb Burton Oregon thing? Is that again, we're not saying there's anything to it, but why would a Penn State recruit say that? Is that like a thing that there are some whatever small group of people or that if you ever, if that Oregon was close or why would Caleb or Burton and Oregon be hooked together? So, so from the last conversation I had with Caleb and his father, Charles, who's his head coach at his high school, that's not from the way they talked that top 12, they put out in October, Oregon was more middle of the pack, closer to number 12 than they were middle of the pack, closer to number one. I think Oklahoma was probably up there. Obviously Texas was up there as well. I mean, it's an interesting thing because Oregon's, they had a better recruit. They were at a number six class in 2022 and they've got five guys in 2020. And I mean, t- number six class in 2021, they have five guys already in 2022, but I don't think there's much weight behind that. And as you mentioned with Desan McCullough, he came out to everybody who texted, who texted him and basically said, I know I'm not flipping. I I'm just a, that my dad got a new job. That's all it is. Okay. I mean, yeah. like the, the, the Desan McCullough, Indiana thing is obvious. I didn't know why Caleb Burton in yeah, Oregon I, was I, even like the, that the kid threw like that particular shade. Why that? It was just a, one of the, when he threw a top 12, it was on the list. Okay. I, I wouldn't have when uh, those top for, for people that obviously you guys know this, but for people who listen those top eight, top 10, top 20, they, they don't ever put out order, but there's always a presumed, you know, grouping of who is actually closer to number one and who's closer to the bottom of that list. And I wouldn't have put Oregon close to the top of that list. But I think it is worth reminding people too, that the way coaches talked about their players having to play through the whistle, coaches sometimes have to recruit through the whistle and you don't have to do it for Josh Myers or Jack Sawyer necessarily, but you probably have to do it for Caleb Burton. It's a guy who's out of state. And not only that, but as you've got this, you've already got a crop of receivers and the more of them that show something this year, and look like they're going to be a, an established big part of Ohio State for the next couple of years, I think that gets used against Ohio State in recruiting. There's going to be programs kind of hanging around saying, we've got an opportunity for you right now. You might have to wait for it at Ohio State. And I think I might, if it would have been, if he just said Texas, it would have been an interesting thing. And I probably would have been reaching out to Charles Burton and Caleb Burton over the next 48 hours because that's interesting, given that they just got a five-star quarterback and they might get a five-star wide receiver as well and it's closer to home and Malik Murphy and Caleb Burton are friends so that would have held a little bit more weight and and you know I mean like all the you know commitments just mean you're in the lead yeah you know verbal commitment just means you're ahead so it, it the recruiting continues and 
again, through some of the stuff I'm working on, it's like, I feel like, like I'm learning more about recruiting, even though I should know a lot about it. Cause I've been doing it for 16 years. And like the stories of some of these times of like when, when Ohio state's like had to sit on a kid at the end, I mean, they really, you really end up guarding a guy that like you are fending people off to the last moment that Tony Alford, when JK Dobbins committed, like was, he was telling the story of near the end. He was like, Ohio state was like in bowl practice, but Texas was like trying to come to visit JK in a window where is this a common knowledge story? Maybe it is. And I'm repeating things, but like it was the last chance that schools like could visit at home. And Tony Alford went and visited JK hung out all day, flew home for an Ohio state bowl practice and flew back down to Texas. So he could sit on JK and sit and play dominoes with him and hang out at his house all day so that Texas couldn't even come say hello because it was like the last day that a school could come do an in-person thing. And Tony offer was like, I'm not going to let you see him. He's committed to us, but I'm not even going to let Texas now Texas could have come in, but if the Texas coach was going to come in to say hello to JK Dobbins, Tony offer was going to be sitting next to him on the couch. <laughs> So he was in Texas, he flew back for practice, and he flew back to Texas to sit on J.K., who he loved and J.K. loved him. But it's the kind of defense that you have to play until the end. So they, they are, when you're doing national stuff, like they might be sitting on some of these guys, right, in December, in the last days before signing day, like making sure nobody comes in with a last-minute pitch. Part of it's paranoia. But part of it's, you know, they're teenagers and is there something that can sway you at the end? So this is why we talk about this stuff. I think some, you know, when I was saying like, ah, Quinn Ewers, Steve Sarkeesian, like I'm off the, are they going to lose Quinn Ewers thing? Because they got, Texas got another five-star quarterback in that class. So like, they're not even going to try for Quinn Ewers anymore, but the schools know it. Like they know when it's like a commitment is nothing more than uh, in the lead for now. So Caleb Burton might just be one of those guys. He's that good. They might end up squatting on this guy down the stretch because Oregon and Texas and Oklahoma, I don't think are just going to throw up their hands and say, oh, well. When you hear stories like that and, you know, Wyatt Davis's situation when his dad's detailing to me exactly how that went, uh, play, played out with Greg Chajawa sitting down the street making sure Clay Helton couldn't come in the house. It's it's interesting. It's uh, what's what's what gives a coach more anxiety as you get closer to signing day? A kid like Emeka Ibuka who takes literally – up until the Friday before signing day to make any type of decision or the Jack. So not a, ja a national Jack Sawyer, not Jack Sawyer, obviously because he's from Ohio, but the, the national version of Jack Sawyer, Julian Fleming, let's just use him. Julian Fleming, who's been committed for six, seven months, but you know, you still have to, as you pointed out, sit on that guy because Penn state can come in at any moment and flip some things around. Doug, you, you mentioned the book several times. What is kind of the, timetable on that when should people look for that book the fall the fall i don't know exactly when i sent 10 chapters in on monday i have a couple straggler chapters that i'm finishing up that i'm getting like last interviews before i can write those up so i have like another five or six or seven to wrap up but i have 90 percent of the stuff done for all that but uh yeah so the fall I was to say, obviously, you don't want to give away everything that's in the book, but maybe sporadically until then, you could stop by BFFs, drop people a tiny little nugget as a way to like tease them about why they should yeah, every, end up getting that book. Every so often, you can just come by the house, pick us up, take us, you know, to a gas station and buy some milkshakes. 
Yeah. No, I could do I could do that. I can do a milkshake run. Then we could call that. Like, welcome back to BFFs, Nathan Baird and uh, Stephen Neen's milkshake run. Doug Lamer's yeah. run for milkshake run in 10 minutes. The uh, But and a lot of it is like, it's just, you know, the understanding of like, just, you know, there's a lot of similar things that in people's stories of like, well, this is what happened on their visit. And this is what, this is what, why they felt this way, or this is what didn't happen. But it does, it's, I mean, it's the people who do recruiting 365 days a year. They understand all this stuff. I don't do recruiting 365 days a year. But you can see the trends in like where schools make mistakes, where schools are really smart, what actually matters to kids, what really, you know, locks in the decision in the end. Um, And there's a lot of, there are a lot of interesting things in there. So I think there's some themes I think that we can hit maybe on some of the BFFs and maybe in some of our reporting and our writing that, you know, this is a thing that is common. Ohio State often does this. And this is an important thing to a kid. And again, Stephen's getting this kind of stuff in the modern day, not 20 years ago stuff with his interviews all the time. But there are, you can see, oh, you know, Ohio State says, well, this is why we do this. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, 11 kids just regurgitated that that really mattered to them. This is one of the reasons Ohio State's really good in, in recruiting. And there are a lot of things that Ohio State does really well. But also, I think when you're telling stories that are four or five years old, you get a little bit more detail with it than when you're living in the moment and you have to be a little bit more secretive about it with it sometimes too. So yeah. People blab when it's in their past, they don't care yeah. anymore. Cause the kids already signed. Usually they've already played here. And so it doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 We're going to come back after this break. We're going to talk about big 10 recruiting and one team in particular, one program in particular that has uh, had some success in the past week. And what am I mean for Ohio state? You're listening to Buckeye talk. We're back on Buckeye Talk. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, we did a podcast that was kind of breaking down the changes to the Michigan coaching staff. I don't have that in front of me. People can go back and and look at that, or um, if one of us has it, maybe we can reference it. But basically, the whole coaching staff under Jim Harbaugh has been turned over. I think they had maybe one or two guys that stayed, but they made that staff a lot younger and uh, they changed kind of the demographics of that staff a little bit. And we speculated at the time, like maybe that's, we're going to see some effect to recruiting. Maybe it wouldn't be in the immediate, but it kind of maybe has been in the immediate because uh, Michigan has made a couple of plays here recently and, and had a couple of commitments that we think could signify what Jim Harbaugh is trying to do with this changeover. So the biggest one was a, a player named Will Johnson who is a Michigan legacy. His father played there. He was kind of down to them and USC and Ohio state was in the mix, at least at some point for that. Will Johnson stays home and goes to Michigan, a uh, cornerback. And then a, a four-star receiver named Tayshawn Trent, who was also another in-state player also stays home. And so that's just been within the last couple of weeks, a couple of notable guys. So Stephen, what does this tell you about, do you think that this new staff has had any effect here or are these previous relationships that just happen to be kind of coming to fruition at this point? So I, I don't know how much we're supposed to pat Michigan on the back for getting Will Johnson, because I look at that the same way as I look at Ohio State getting Paris Johnson or Jack Sawyer or Zach Harrison or CJ Hicks, keep naming guys, where, okay, you got them, but it's more of a story if you don't get that kid because you're supposed to get that kid. He's a five, especially in this situation where it's a five-star corner 
who's from not only from Michigan, but whose father literally played the same position he's going to play at Michigan. You're supposed to get that kid. So I, the only thing you applaud Michigan on here, to be honest with you, is they revamped the, st- the staff around a time where it seemed like the momentum was shifting away from the Wolverines and it was headed towards USC or it was headed towards Ohio State. And that revamped staff was able to snatch him back. So you'll give the new staff that much credit. But outside of that, I don't know how much you can praise them for getting a kid with this much of a detail that he's supposed to be a Michigan Wolverine. Now, if a guy like Gavin Sawchuk, a five-star running back, if he comes to Michigan, that's when it starts to get interesting because that's a national kid you wouldn't got. But right now, it's just another decent Michigan class where you've got a five-star at the top and then a bunch of guys who are in the 200s. I will say this. I think things are so precarious there for Michigan that if they had not gotten Will Johnson, I think you're right. I think that almost it would have been a bigger story if they hadn't got him. But more than just the story of it, more than just the PR of it, that would be a a significant loss at a time where that staff kind of needs to start building some momentum. And that's sort of what we were talking about when we brought this up a couple weeks ago. Right, Doug, was that this staff, you know, changing over this staff, it, it was about yes, it was about like finding individual talent, but it was also about sort of just changing perceptions and, and, and getting some momentum building back towards where that program is supposed to be. I just don't know if we're in the business of like taking anything good for granted with Michigan right now, right? That like, well, they did, they were supposed to do. It's like, well, they're kind of in the position they're in because they sometimes don't do what they're supposed to do. I know Dan Wetzel, who lives in Michigan is the Yahoo sports national columnist, but his college football is something he pays attention to. And, and for like a national columnist, he pays attention to college football recruiting as well. Um, he pointed out, I think if you go to 247 Sports right now, you know, Will Johnson's the number one player in Michigan. But I think if you look at the crystal balls or the projections or whatever, it looks like they're going to get the top seven kids in Michigan in this recruiting class. Will Johnson's locked in and they're they're in good shape with the top seven. Just even looking in the class of 2021, they got two of the top five. The number one kid, Damon Payne, went to Alabama. Rocco Spindler, number three kid, went to Notre Dame. And Garrett Dellinger, the number five kid, went to LSU. So, okay, well, they got the number one kid in Michigan. And yes, he's a legacy. And yes, everything points him there. But you got to start somewhere. And I think that I I don't want to give Michigan too much credit. I know some people listening will this would push back. Maybe we're giving them too much credit. But this is like not what they've been doing. Right. They don't get all the best kids in their backyard. You go back to the class of 2020. They got two, three of the top 12 in Michigan. They got three of the best 12 kids in Michigan. Right. So sometimes when you are in a bad spot, you get, you know, it's like your kid. Right. I mean, the kid doesn't if your kid's not doing their homework. And then she does her homework and it's like, well, you do is turn in your homework, but it's like, good job turning in your homework because you have a bunch of zeros because you haven't turned your homework in. Now you're not going to, doesn't mean you're going to be on the honor roll just because you turned your homework in, but you got to start somewhere. So I think Michigan is at the got to start somewhere mode, but I think it's got to start somewhere where it feels like it actually might be different and it might be the start of something. So I think Steven, you are right. It's more if you don't, get will johnson alarm bells are going off but it might be that will johnson again and you talk about this a lot steven if he's there, jack sawyer if he's there you get the guy down the road early who then helps you build is a leader you get momentum 
And now all of a sudden, is Michigan dominating nationally? I don't know. Maybe not dominating nationally, but you start in your backyard and getting the top seven kids in Michigan to go to Michigan in this class would be the beginning of something to me. So that's it, where it's interesting. It's it's Will Johnson's in, and I obviously the time will tell is the, the worst thing the policies we say, but it's interesting how the next six months play out for Michigan. Now that you have your Jack Sawyer, what the, what, what does he do in helping recruit the class, but also what does Michigan do to take advantage of this momentum that you just got by getting one of the top five corners in the country? It's hard to imagine what the Ohio state fan base would react. If three of the top five players in Ohio in a given class, we're going to other schools. And we're not talking about necessarily guys who are just in that middling area where you almost look at it and it makes sense. Like, well, you maybe can't ever start at Ohio state. I understand why you're going to Kentucky or uh, West Virginia or a Mac school or whatever. Like that makes perfect sense. I, we're, you're talking about LSU and Notre Dame and Alabama. Like you're losing players of that caliber and not just the one-offs, not just the, the one Jackson Carmen, three guys in one class. So the, like I, I, I can't, Imagine how Ohio State fans would respond to that. I will say this one something I was thinking about in this context, though. The other reason why Michigan needed to get things going back in the right direction was they have something in their state that Ohio State doesn't, which is another Big Ten program in their state vying for some of those in-state kids. Now, we're changing the conversation a little bit because those guys weren't going to Michigan State either. Like we said, they're going Notre Dame, Alabama, LSU. But Michigan's also got to – we've talked about before about why how Ohio State might have to fortify itself a little bit from the threat of Mel Tucker. It's even more true for Michigan, right? Like they've got to, they've got to kind of establish themselves, reestablish some dominance in that state, I think, and get all the in-state kids of priority. Class of 2019, there were 12 kids in Michigan who were ranked among the top 500 recruits in the country. Class of 2019, two went to Michigan. So – I think I think I'm trying to figure something out. I'm trying to write this um, about the Browns and I'm, I'm trying to run this theory by people. But there's a lot of stuff you have. To, it's like you have to start with the basics to allow yourself to expand. So I think that the Browns, the act of committing to a quarterback forces you to get the rest of your organization in order. And so even if the quarterback isn't Patrick Mahomes, the act of committing to a quarterback is good for you as an organization. And then maybe if the quarterback doesn't hit, you can pull out Jameis Winston, plop in Tom Brady, and a lot of other things are lined up because once you commit to a quarterback and take him number one in the draft, it's like we have to get our crap together or we have no chance to maximize this accent, right? So the act of doing it helps. Getting your house in order in your own state in recruiting, the act of putting up a fence around your state, focusing, building relationships in your backyard and locking down those kids allows you to then expand. It is hard, I think, to go out and be great sometimes nationally when you're busy playing defense in your own backyard or whether you, you're not even good at establishing relationships. If you can't establish a relationship with a coach 80 miles from your campus, how are you going to establish a relationship with a coach 800 miles from your campus? So that the act of Michigan getting itself together, we're going to get the best kids in Michigan I, I don't think that then makes it harder to recruit nationally. I think it makes it easier to recruit nationally because when you build a relationship and lock down Jack Sawyer, when you build a relationship and lock down Josh Myers, Ohio State, and you get the best Ohio kids and the Josh Myers story that is a great story, when Josh Myers tells Greg Stradrawa, I'm good, don't spend any time on me, go get Wyatt. If you're playing defense, trying to 
fend off people from Josh Myers, you don't have time to babysit Wyatt Davis. So if they can lock, if Michigan can lock down Will Johnson now and build relationships and then have those kids work for them instead of having to spend all their energy trying to recruit those guys an extra eight months, now you can go do the next thing. They're, I think they might be, I don't know if people want to hear, I think they might be getting their house in order. And I don't know if Will Johnson is, a, is an early signal of that. And if that happens, that's a change, right? But I do feel that because one of the worst things that schools can do in recruiting is take the home state for granted. Because the, if you take the home state for granted, either A, you lose the kids in your backyard that you can't lose, or B, you spend so much extra time to keep them when you should have been able to keep them with much less effort, you can't go get the other guys. Maybe the worm is turning for Michigan a little bit. And I think we bring this up as just something for people to keep an eye on down the road, because there is also the other part of me, as we talked about a little bit on the threat level thing earlier this week, which is maybe Michigan. Yeah, maybe they're getting their stuff in order, but Ohio State is also getting its stuff or keeping its stuff in order and building towards something potentially pretty special coming ahead. So even when Michigan gets better, I don't know if it's going to be better enough to to bridge that gap completely. This might be the year where there was an opportunity and that recruiting needed to have already happened. So we'll see about that. The the other re- recruit that they got though, um, Tayshawn Trent, I think he's ranked like number 283 in the 24 seven composite, a four-star receiver. I saw that this was at least, I think I saw this on M live. This would be at least, this would be four straight classes with at least two four-star receivers. So kind of as you're talking about, Doug, and, and, and Stephen, I think I'm interested in your perspective on this. When you get the five-star quarterback now, you've also got to get him some weapons. That already kind of seems like it might be in place at Michigan. Like there might be skill position talent in place at Michigan if they can fix the quarterback position, which is what's been holding them back. I think so. Uh, and that's been the, the theme here of the last two Michigan-Ohio State games is oh, Michigan just can't keep up offensively. And so – I the weapons obviously aren't top 100 five-star receivers, but they're, they're solid enough weapons that if you have a developed five-star quarterback, you're not peaking at, you know, 28 points, 34 points. I mean, maybe you can get up in a game where Ohio, you know Ohio State is going to be up for that game and probably reach 50. You can try to match that, even if you don't necessarily win it every single time. I think a 55 to 50 loss, you know, just looks better than a 62 to 28 loss in that rivalry. But the other thing is, I mean, Yes, I agree with what you're saying, but they also punted Don Brown and brought in like a sharp young defensive coordinator. Yeah. So I also, yes, and we've, I, I, we may have come to that conclusion, I think, on previous podcasts. Listen, they're never going to stop Ohio State. They've got to find a way to keep up. But also, whatever the one, right, it was 62-39. Was that the score of the yeah, one 60, when they yeah, dropped the bomb? 62-39 when I Wade mean, was just throwing crossing routes all game. It's not like 39 is embarrassing, Right, you so feel like you should win when you score thirty nine yeah, points, right? Especially like, on that defense, because that defense was. But if you have defense. if you have a defensive coordinator that is going to do a better job than Don Brown did against Ohio State the last couple of years, and you are yes improving the offense, I just think Josh Gaddis is so important to Michigan right now. If they keep him and they just can establish some continuity with how they want to attack people offensively, and they can get that going a little bit, I mean, then maybe I mean now you're you know. Maybe you don't have to win 55-50. Maybe you can try to win 42-39, right, which is a score of an actual famous Ohio State-Michigan game. So that's that's part of it. That, um, But I do think, again, Nathan, to your point, you got to start somewhere. It's like, all right, well, J.J. McCarthy is somewhere. So let's build some stuff. 
And listen, here's here's the thing about this. We this is an Ohio State football podcast, is it not? This is an Ohio State football podcast. Right. It is. Correct. It is. We talk about it. What's five times? We talk about them. We talk about them two hundred and fifty times a year. And at some point, I mean, they are. They don't even have a four They're taking the advanced classes that your A is worth like a four point eight. They have like a four point seven. They're number three in the class of a class of one hundred and thirty, and they're the number three program in the country. So at some point, it's like. We are talking about Michigan right now because Michigan had a C. They didn't have an F, but they had a C, right? Maybe a C minus. And Michigan might be starting to get Bs. And we're like, Michigan, we see you getting higher grades. And people listening to this might be like, uh, I get literally a 98 on every test. And we're like, we get it. You're a genius. We get it. We get it. You're an A. You're on the honor roll. We get it. Your, your, yes, your sibling needs some attention for yeah. going from a C to a B. Even though the B is still not as good as an A, you've had A's your whole life. We love you. You're a genius. Can we give some attention to your lesser talented sibling for a moment? They need some positive reinforcement. So that's, I mean, not that Michigan, we're not we're here to get positive reinforcement, but it's interesting to talk about because it's a change. So that's why we're spending a little more time on Michigan in this segment than like, oh, I mean, if Graves, if Keon Graves went to Michigan, right? Oh, my God. They got a national kid of that. It's like Michigan people will be doing a nine-hour podcast on it. Here at Ohio State, it's like, I don't know. Is he going to play? He's the eighth best guy in the room, whatever. So we get it. It's grading, literally grading on a curve. So Michigan is trying to begin to do the light version of what Ohio State does every day, but they're trying. We've like, been uh, just prepare me for the day I, I decide to have a kid. It's like there's going to be one kid where if he gets a B, you're probably going to put him on punishment. While if another kid gets a B, you're throwing him a birthday party. Yeah, we've been rewatching Modern Family, which is a show that I only watched like very sporadically in the past, but like we're watching from beginning to end now. And the Big Ten, we can do this. Could be maybe a headline like why the big 10 is the Dunphy's for modern family because it's like Ohio state is Alex, the like super smart girl. And then everybody else, like they do sometimes give the other kids credit for like, just not like falling down while they walk. Like it's cause they're that stupid. When uh, I can't remember which bowl game it was now it was in, I think it, I don't think it was a national championship game. Anyway, Ty Burrell, the actor who plays Phil Dunphy mm-hmm. on modern family, who I, Phil Dunphy reminds me of myself at times. So I enjoy that character. I enjoyed Ty Burrell's work as that. He's like walking down the hallway under the concourse, like that you look, go like from the elevator to the field. And I'm like, holy crap, it's Phil Dunphy. And Ari's with me. And I'm like, excuse me, Ty, I'm a big fan. Could I get a photo? So Ty Burrell magnanimously stops in the concourse. I go over and put my arm around him. And I, Ari has hit my cell phone and he has it like vertically. Right. So he takes like one vertical picture. It's fine. I have a good, it's, I have the photo up in my house, me and Ty hanging out. I have, it takes like one vertical picture, two vertical pictures. And then he starts to turn the phone horizontally for like, <laughs> let's go to the second pose. And Ty Burrell was like, I got to go. And it was like, you don't, that's my lesson for famous people. They might stop and take a photo with you. You do not get to change the angle on the photo. 
So that is my lesson to everybody. Maybe that's unprofessional by me, but I'm not going to pass up a chance to meet Phil Dunphy if I have it. No, no. And I think they, they, the celebrities know the routine. I have a, my, my future brother-in-law met uh, Rain Wilson from the office at an airport one time. And like he approached him and like, I think people are sometimes very like nervous as they go up to meet celebrities, but he just like grabbed him. He's like, Hey, selfie time. And just like grabs and gets a quick photo. And he's just like gone before you even realize what happened. So they're usually, they, yeah. they know the routine. They've got it down. They, they do it every time they leave their house, which has to be I'm, I'm glad to hear their stories of one of people who, who deal with that well, because I don't know if I would. Like it would it would grate on me after a while. Quick, Stephen, any place people should keep an eye on where Ohio State and Michigan are going head to head in this class for 2023? Anything of note? I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Caleb Brown, as I mentioned earlier, the wide receiver. But that's if that's once again, a situation where does Ohio State want to go down that road or not? But Ohio. Uh, not really. <laughs> I think Ohio State is in the, at this point with the national guys. They've gotten the Ohio kids that they want. They've got the th- top three players in Ohio and <clears throat> Jair Brown, CJ Hickson, Gabe Powers, and then also the number six guy, Integra Tishabola. And they're more on a national approach while obviously Michigan is trying to lock down its state. So the difference in approach with the 2022 class, they're not. Will Johnson was probably the top of the cream of the crop of is Ohio State and Michigan. Who's going to win a battle between Ohio State and Michigan? This isn't recruiting per se, but I wanted to touch on it real quick. Michigan also brought in a grad transfer quarterback from Texas Tech named Alan Bowman. And I think it contrasts a little bit with how Ohio State is handling its quarterback room. Because at Michigan, you've got a situation where you have the five-star coming in. You have a a guy who – a holdover there who has played some in the past. I think they've even got a third – a redshirt freshman. So this would be the fourth scholarship guy they're adding to that room but they felt like they needed to go out and get someone. And this is a guy who played a decent amount at Texas tech. He's thrown for, he was their starter, right? Yeah. He's thrown for, he's played like, I can't remember how many games, 19 games over three years, something like that. He's thrown for a few thousand yards and 36 touchdowns. Like he's played some ball. They felt like they needed to go out and get someone like him to finish off the room. Ohio state has not done that yet. Even with like a, a lower level guy to come in and, and finish out the room. And I, I don't know if that signals something to us. It's obviously not like they're deciding things in the same way Michigan's deciding things, but that Ohio, it sort of reinforces how Ohio state is putting this on its recruiting and the three guys that it has brought in to battle for this position, instead of bringing in that extra security blanket this year. I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if every time we see a situation like this with Ohio state, whoever that fourth guy is doesn't show up to the summer and it's just a grad transfer. Just but it's not going to be like, like this guy, this Michigan guy is not Gunnar Hoke. This guy's no, like a starting quarterback, in, yeah, he's a power five starting quarterback, which it's somebody. He may I be their opening day starter. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't know if I love it for Michigan or not. I mean, I think Harbaugh, I mean, Harbaugh's done this a million times. I mean, Jake Rudock, who's the best quarterback he's had there, was a transfer. John O'Corn was a transfer. Shea Patterson was a transfer. Like, I, 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 I'm not down on transfers. You know who else was a transfer? Justin Fields. So, like, I get it, right? But I don't like it when you're a power. I don't think it should be like what you rely on. Like if Northwestern plays graduate quarterback transfer X kind of for the foreseeable future, I get it. They're Northwestern. They're not going to get a top 100 national player at quarterback most years. Right. So I get it. Michigan should get that. Harbaugh should get that. They do have it with JJ McCarthy. So this feels to me a little bit like hedging your bets. And I don't know if Harbaugh should be in hedge mode or go for it mode. Like, do I need, like, I don't want to go through JJ McCarthy growing pains. Cause I might get fired if we don't have a winning record. Or is it like, you know what? He's our guy. 
throw, go in with him. If, and if he's truly, 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 truly not ready, play Cade McNamara, who's been around and could play. So I, like, I'm a little, but this reminds me, there was a time, I know I said on this podcast, Brock Purdy, when I was playing, like, could Ryan Day do this? Like a year ago when we're doing this. Are we sure if the room's so young and the season's screwy, would Ryan Day be open to one year of a transfer to play a veteran and give these other guns, you know, young guys one more year? Now, I think if he did it now, it would be crazy, right? We, I don't know. They don't need to do it, even though none of them has ever played a snap. But also, at least C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller have been on campus. J.J. McCarthy's never taken a snap, never been on campus. So I guess I get it, but I think perhaps I will slightly think lesser of Michigan. I'll think they wussed out. Like if J.J. McCarthy's not playing early, I get it. If you want him, if he's not ready week one, I guess I get it. But if he's not playing by the middle of the year, I'm going to think they wussed out. And I'm, I would like to hear the explanation for why. Because Michigan should not be in the business of relying on the Texas Tech quarterback. I just don't think that's where they should be. I think J.J. McCarthy should just be the starter from day one. What do you have? Of I think they just reset. They just pressed the reset button on Jim Harbaugh. And so if he throws the true freshman quarterback out there, everybody's aware that you just put a true freshman quarterback out there. You don't really have much to lose. At worst, he goes through these growing pains, but he shows you his upside. And you can start building towards the future. But if you so, throw the other guy out there who clearly is going to have a ceiling on what he's going to be able to do for Michigan, I mean, you just lost valuable starting snaps that your future starting quarterback could have had. So then why is he here? Is it just to help the room and that you told him we're going to give you a legitimate chance to p- compete, but actually they're probably going to lean J.J. McCarthy? Yeah. Right? I, why yeah, is he here? Help the room, but also for that. I mean, you remember when – Ryan Day was trying to play the game that Justin Fields is. But in a this is not that. Gunner Hoke was nothing. I'm not talking about Gunner. I'm talking about with Massey Ballin in the spring. I'm not but talking about guys, with Gunner Hoke. But those guys never had played. This is a starting quarterback in the Power Five. This is an established guy. Why is he here? It's, it's why it doesn't fully make sense to me because. And again, like I said, they have, I'm forgetting his name, but they have another scholarship quarterback too. This is the fourth scholarship quarterback they're bringing into the room. And one of them already has experience starting. I think he only started a couple games last season. Cade McNamara. And then, Cade McNamara, yeah. yeah, sorry. And then, and then McCarthy coming in as one of the top quarterback recruits in the country. So the, adding a fourth guy into that mix who only has one year, I believe. I think he's only got one year of eligibility. Yeah, it, it's it's a little bit curious to me. I say that at the same time as like I understand why I guess why Ohio State might want to get a fourth guy. Day has said he wants four scholarship quarterbacks in that room, ideally. But you, I don't think you bring in someone like this to do that. I think you would have to be bringing – you would go – if there is a Gunner Hoke available who wants to come here and be that fourth scholarship, yeah, maybe fine. you would take that. But bringing in someone like this in this dynamic, it, it wouldn't make sense at all for Ohio State. And I, I – I don't know that it makes a lot of sense for Michigan. It is literally the security blanket they don't need. That's a good way to that's a good way to phrase it. And I think, but why do you get a security blanket that you don't need? Right? It's because you're insecure. And yeah. and like I don't love I don't love what it says about what they're thinking. Like I like what it says. Like, listen, okay. They like wipe the slate clean with the staff, right? If they had made all these new staff hires but kept Don Brown and it was like, you know what? All right, our defense has been getting torched. We're going to bring in all these guys, but we're going to keep old Don Brown to keep doing Don Brown things. That would feel like hedging to me. They they aren't hedging. 
with the assistants. They like whacked everybody. They just wiped it. This feels like hedging. I, I if, to me, they're past hedging. Why? Like, just go, just take your shot, right? Roll the dice, bet on upside, take your bumps, take your, if you need to, right? But what's the Texas tech guy really going to get you? He's going to get you at the best exactly where you are right now and where you are right now. The whole point is not good enough. So I don't, again, are we like, are we pushing against it? He might be the best backup quarterback in the big 10, right? Listen, JJ, he's going to really help JJ learn. If JJ is really having a game where he's struggling and he just needs to come out to like reset himself and get his head right. We're going to put this guy in. If JJ gets hurt, he's a great backup quarterback, but man, if he wins the job, I'm going to think less of him. I'd respect I, I, it's unrealistic because of how this works out, but I'd respect this decision more if it happened in June and not Jay and not February, just because then it's sending a message of maybe JJ McCarthy's just not ready. Yeah. You haven't started anything yet. So you don't know if JJ McCarthy is ready or not yet. He's doing mad drills right now. Right. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Big Ten when we come back from this break, kind of extending a conversation that we had earlier this week about threat level and how it might relate to recruiting. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. All right, wrapping up here, I hope people listen to our Wednesday podcast, which was about the, the short and long-term threat level that the rest of the Big Ten programs have in relation to Ohio State. How much should Ohio State feel threatened by these programs in the next couple years and then down the line? And how would we rank? We ranked them 1 through 13. And it made me think, in a lot of that conversation, we kept coming back to how programs are recruiting or our perception of how programs recruit and whether they can pick that up in the future or, or whether it's going to fall off, if there's a coaching change, that sort of thing. So I went through and I looked back through the last five years. So from 2017 through 2021, where every Big Ten program ranked in the Big Ten in the 24-7 rankings and, and, and got the 1 through 14 average for all of those teams. And then I asked our texters to give me what their guess was. I wanted them to like do it off the top of their head, not – go up and research it just like what's your feeling where do you feel like these teams probably rank in terms of recruiting the top three are obvious ohio state number one penn state uh or michigan number two penn state number three i think was that's how our texters guessed it and that is what it is ohio state one michigan two penn state three who do you guys think is the fourth highest ranked recruiting classes in the big 10 over the last five years if you average out where they ranked in the big 10 over the last five years probably nebraska or michigan state um pass <laughs> nobody i don't even know i don't well, even one, know one of, I guess one of that's our text point one of our texters did say does it really matter after the top three and maybe it doesn't maybe this isn't interesting but i there are some teams on here that i thought were kind of interesting our our readers guessed our text our subscribers guessed wisconsin number four and that makes sense why you would guess them because they've been of after those top three that's like the one that has maybe the most prominent national profile and they've been in the Big Ten championship game a bunch of times and kind of thought of as like the Kings of the West. But Nebraska, Stephen just said Nebraska is fourth. They've had they've been fifth, fourth, 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 and fifth over the last five years in the Big Ten. And we none of us really gave Nebraska a whole lot of respect when we did our rankings, frankly. They, you know, they're a team that has not done much in the Big Ten the last five years, and we don't really see a reason for them to have a lot of and I think this was already kind of baked into our impression of nebraska like 
we know they've gotten decent players. They've had Wondell Robinson. They've had Adrian Martinez. They've had some other players of note. They just don't do anything with those guys. J.D. Yeah, I mean, they've had, especially on the offensive side of the ball, like they've had guys of note and none. it doesn't go anywhere. They, they don't do anything with it. And I think this is one it, it, this is one of those ones that kind of that ranking reinforces what I think we already think of Nebraska and also kind of reinforces to me that if this isn't working out and then they can't keep Scott Frost, and they have to make a change. It probably resets that and pushes them even even farther back. So so the point about Nebraska, Joseph in Atlanta. Oh, yeah, go ahead and read that. I brought this up in the Texas from the 216. I hope this survey leads you guys to stop making such a big deal out of Nebraska can't get talent like you did, did in today's pod. That just kept making me roll my eyes. No, Nebraska isn't recruiting like a national powerhouse, but they're still bringing in better talent than anybody else in the West. The fact that they're five and seven every year is a function of development and coaching, not raw recruiting. Also poor player attention, retention. Nebraska has had a lot of their hotshot recruits and key players transfer out. So... Point taken, but bottom line, they suck. So, like, I'm not going to apologize too much. Maybe the criticism is not exactly the right thing. They're no good. They've had they've had a losing record for four straight years. They had four losing records the previous 60 years. That's how bad they are. So, I guess, all right, fine. They can get whatever. But also, by the way, this is where I, again, they're right in that dead zone of recruiting. Like they're not finding diamonds in the rough. They're not like the Michigan state Mark D'Antonio development machine. They're bringing in like, you know, kids ranked in the 300s and 400s and 500s in the country and doing nothing with them. And if any of them are good, they leave. So I get what Joseph in Atlanta is saying, maybe acting like they can't get talent, get recruiting talent is the wrong criticism. But the baseline criticism, which is they suck, I stand by because they suck. And tell me what's going to change. Because the thing about them that I think is that they suck. So it's the sucking that I'm focused on. And if and if the avenue toward the sucking that I went down the wrong street and it was like, oh, man, you took Third Street onto Oak. Man, you've got to go down Elm Street if you want to get to Nebraska Sucktown. I apologize for taking the wrong route, but guess what? I still got there, and right now I'm eating nugs in Nebraska Sucktown, and they taste good. Nebraska sucks. Buckeye talk. Yeah, but, I mean, no offense. Proof. It's, pr- to, it's true. To the point of landing talent, I mean, it's like a dog. They're like the dogs chasing cars. They don't necessarily know what to do once they get to catch the car. So I don't know what Nebraska's identity is because at least with Iowa and Wisconsin, those Big Ten West schools, no, they're not putting together elite level recruiting classes, but you know what they are. And so they recruit to who they are, and that's why it works. Michigan and Penn State can recruit these middle-of-the-road recruiting classes and still compete because they are going to get some talent, and they have typically developed the talent, at least to a certain extent, and in Ohio State to Ohio State. Nebraska is just getting talent, and – not really putting it to good use because I don't know if Nebraska knows what it is as far as how they, what their, what is their philosophy? What, what, what do you expect to see when you watch a Nebraska football game? Cause I know what I should expect to see with an Iowa football game, an Illinois football game when they're good, a Nebraska football game, or a, you know, a Wisconsin football game, a Penn state, a Maryland. I know what to expect when I watch those teams play football. So I can adjust my view of their recruiting classes 
and put it in context accordingly. I can't do that with Nebraska. So just telling me they have the fourth or best best class in the Big Ten doesn't mean anything. And for instance, a class of 2019 for Nebraska, number one guy they got was Wandale Robinson, the only guy in the top 100 that they got. And he played and then he left. So, like, he is pretty good. It was a big deal when they got him. And as soon as he started contributing, he left. And their sixth best player in that class was Luke McCaffrey, who was a 257 overall player. He, like, was their part-time quarterback and he left. And the other four guys in between are a linebacker from Nebraska, a cornerback from Arizona, a tackle from Minnesota, and a defensive end from Arizona. I don't know if they're good or not. I don't really care. But, it, like, you're not doing anything with it. So, again, I mean, I get, I get it. They're but, probably but t- recruiting raw recruiting. They're better than we think, but they're just collecting dudes to Steven's point about the identity. I think sometimes when you don't have an identity, then your best players sometimes then as an extension of that don't have an identity. And why is one, why is um, Wanda Robinson? Why is Luke McCaffrey no longer at Nebraska? One of the re- part of the reason is they didn't know how to use those guys really when they were there, they kept kind of jerking those guys around and, you know, Robinson was used more as a running back instead of the receiver. I think he thought he was supposed to be used as McCaffrey was never really the guy at quarterback. They never fully committed him. Now maybe that was partially, partially because of his play, but they were also coming into a situation this year where they were shifting away from maybe ever using him in some of those other roles. And he was just going to be a backup quarterback. So I, I, I think Steven's right that I think the lack of an identity there has just not given them the foundation to build on to use some of those guys. I think it's only interesting. I know, again, this is an Ohio State podcast, but again, it just every once in a while we need to remind of how Nebraska coming into the Big Ten was supposed to they were kind of supposed to be an Ohio State-ish thing happening out west. And the exact opposite thing has happened with that program, and it just hasn't materialized, and it would help probably the Big Ten if they could get things going uh, in the right direction again. I'm not going to have you guys guess 1 through 14, but there were a couple of other, I thought, interesting teams on this list, because tied for fifth was Wisconsin, who, again, we think of as like the kind of premier program out West in, in a lot of ways. Who was tied for fifth with Wisconsin? Maryland. Yeah, Maryland. It is Maryland. I was surprised by that. Why, why, why would you guess Maryland? Or were you guessing just a team that you thought might surprise me? No, because well, I mean, because it's a good, it's a fertile recruiting ground. So yeah. even if you aren't doing as well in your home area as maybe you should, if you're getting some guys from there, that's still arguably the most fertile recruiting ground in the Big Ten footprint, right? It, of like, I mean, I mean, is it is it the is it the most fertile? I don't know what else are the candidates, Ohio and New Jersey. Yeah, and they're I not guess we can necessarily competing with other Big Ten schools. In that area, they're competing with ACC, SEC. They're schools. competing with Ohio State. Well, you, you know what I mean. Like, as far as there's no, there's not another Big Ten program oh, yeah, in that yeah. area. That's what I mean. But I everybody goes the there and pulls yeah, guys yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're the home Pen- state. Pennsylvania's school. a good. Yeah. Pennsylvania's a good football state too, but it almost like bleeds from Ohio into New Jersey as you go yeah. west to east in that. Penn State. state so. Penn State used to be the home state program for the DMV. It was like that when those kids, when the good football players were growing up at the DMV, like they thought of Penn State as their home state school. You know Larry why? Larry Johnson was there. You know why? Yeah, Larry Johnson. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. So Maryland's got to, but that's what we talked about with Mike Loxley on the previous pod. Like Mike Loxley has to change that thinking. And, and I think maybe they are, but yeah, they have to defend their home turf. That's their home turf. That's the, to your point, Stephen. Yes, you are right. They aren't trying to battle. You know, it's not, I don't know, Virginia, Michigan and a Michigan state or a Virginia, but yeah, Virginia's not good. Virginia tech's not very good. And then that's 
outside of that, it's you're dealing with national programs like Alabama, yeah. and Ohio State coming in there. I think there was some bad coaching going on at Maryland or some underwhelming coaching that was one of the reasons why maybe they didn't take advantage of some of this talent that they've had here in recent years. And Mike Loxley is now kind of also pulling in those five stars, maybe taking this to another level. But it's interesting that I look at Nebraska and Maryland being kind of ranked back to back here and, and underwhelming relative to that talent level. But I look at them differently. I think of Nebraska as being like it being evidence of why we, why we rank Nebraska so low. And I look at Maryland ranking there and almost think that it's a reason to keep ranking them as high as we did or why we're optimistic about what they could be, why we think they're maybe a bigger threat down the line. And it's one of those things where if you took Maryland and threw them in the West, how much better would their record have been over the past five years? Probably. Like you said with the Michigan thing, it's, it's the curve matters. It's like it's mm-hmm. where, where they're coming from. Nebraska's coming down and Maryland has never been close to what Nebraska was at its peak. So what I think it, it affects how we – perceive them right now um i mean i guess i guess if the question was like i don't know if you had to bet money on over the next three years you had to bet your house on who wins more games would you pick nebraska or maryland maryland and they have to play in the east and i'd still pick maryland no Um, doubt about it like no doubt about it yeah, I, don't, I, I, I wouldn't yeah. do it without. I'd have to think about it. I'd have to my think. House, and I am. East well, West is I part like of house. it, but uh, who has Vince, a better chance to be eight and four in two years? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Now, I mean, if this goes against a little bit some of the stuff we're saying. Nebraska, if, the path is there for Nebraska in a lot of ways, right? And if, yeah, they have the easier path, one hundred percent. If Joseph in Atlanta, if Joseph in Atlanta is reminding us that like they're not as bad at recruiting as we have been perceiving them at, as recruiting, they just have to figure out their culture and their system and keep some of the guys they get. You know, I mean, if you tell me in two years Nebraska's eight and four, I mean, there's a path to that. I don't believe it necessarily, but. Now I'm being contradictory. I'm not doing it just to be contradictory, but I think Nathan, to your point of like comparing Maryland and Nebraska is an interesting exercise because what they have been in the past absolutely affects how we view them now. Nebraska is not as bad as recruiting as we think they are, but they actually are because it's, they're not recruiting with a purpose. They're just recruiting for the sake of recruiting. So that's semantics, but I I just think, okay, if we're going to have that discussion, let's just pin in two losses for Maryland one being Ohio State and the other one being either Michigan or Penn State. And then I think it's a toss-up with everybody else. And, and a lot of it's recruiting area, right? Maryland's yeah. plan. What's Maryland got to do to get good players? Keep the best players in your area. What's Nebraska have to do to get, get good players? Get good players out of Texas or Arizona mm-hmm. or Florida. You can't just recruit guys from Minnesota and Nebraska. But that was kind of always the case for Nebraska. And when they had an identity in a bygone era of football, playing a a bygone style of football, it worked. And now that that bygone style has gone away and they have to kind of compete head to head in a different way, in a more modern way of football, that seems like where they, but as, but as we're saying, like they've, they've gotten the guys, they just haven't really utilized them as well as they should. Uh, You guys were both a little bit more bearish on the threat level of Iowa than I was. Our texters guess. Hold on them. a second. Hold on a second. I just don't. I can never remember which is which. Just Bearish say is words. We're not a pessimistic stock market. Okay. Pessimistic. Just say American words, not financial. Wait, words. what did he say that? <laughs> what was Bearish. Bearish. I can't remember which is bearish and bearish which is versus bullish. bullish. I know. Just like I can't remember whether opaque means you can see through it or you can't see through it. Opaque so just is... say what's opaque right now for your life. What's opaque? 
I don't See, answer any word that's a bad word. Mind. If the word is like, I know this word either means this or the exact opposite of it, but I'm not sure which. It's a bad word. Bearish and bullish, I can never remember. So say optimistic and pessimistic because that I know. So okay. you're saying we're you more what? Were both, you were more pessimistic than I about Iowa being a, a long-term thing. I don't think any of us had them ranked that high. But I thought this was interesting. Our texters guessed them as the number five team in, in terms of the recruiting rankings. They're actually eighth. And what it kind of reinforced to me was, I think you guys are right. I think you guys are right that Kirk Ferentz gets something out of that talent level because he's a really good football coach. That Kirk Ferentz gets something out of their kind of modest recruiting success. And unless the new guy can come in and really goose that and get it up to another level of recruiting, which I don't think is really attainable for them, for some of the same things, reasons we're talking about with Nebraska, then what are the chances that they can also capitalize on the same talent in the same way? I think you guys are probably right that a coaching change there is, is going to be bad, a, a bad long-term outlook for, for Iowa. I don't yeah. know how many coaches can turn a recruiting class where everybody's in the 300s except for two people into a seven or eight win season. In now, Hayden Fry was a pretty good football coach there too, though. Long, long, no, term success there for Hayden mm-hmm. Fry too. So, 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 but this is, I, I wonder if again, the way the game has changed a little bit, the more modern style football, I just, I, I'm curious if I think you guys might be right that a coaching change there, uh, the bottom could fall out at Listen, least. It, it, temporarily. That's a, it, it's hard with college football because how you decide how much the past matters to the future. Right. I mean, I'm getting a lot of BLM. I'm seeing it. It's the early returns on the podcast that we just did yesterday. Um, I'm getting Bielema pushback for my threat level rankings, having Illinois that high. It's the people who, why would I be that worried about Bielema? But it's like, well, how much, okay, what, how's the past matter or not matter, right? For Iowa, it's like, we're like, ah, Iowa's going to stink. They've only been good for 40, 40 years. I mean, four decades of, of competent winning football. Who cares? They're headed for a cliff. It's like, what are you talking about? They've been good for four decades, but. I also stand by my point, but if there's an Iowa fan, and again, I have Iowa fans in my lives who want to throw that in my face, Nathan, like to your point, like your only way to refute that is to say, yeah, I know, but who cares? They're going to stink in five years. I just think it because nothing lasts forever, even though this has lasted through so far 42 years of Hayden Fry and Kirk Ferentz. Wait, again, as someone who grew up in central Illinois, I would look across the border at Iowa. Not literally. I lived on the other border. But, like, I, I would look figuratively across the border at Iowa, and I would see these wild swings that Illinois goes through where they, they make a Rose Bowl and then they have, like, one win two years later. And it just seems like that's been the identity of Illinois football and actually more of the latter than the former, obviously, for my lifetime. And then you look over to Iowa and they just, it's like eight wins, nine wins, 10 wins, nine wins, 10 wins, eight wins. It just seems like it just churns along. And I've never understood why. So I think the Iowa example almost kind of backs up the optimism we sort of feel because we feel like if Illinois gets the right person, there's no reason they can't be Iowa. And I know being Iowa isn't being Ohio state, but it's being something a heck of a lot more than what Illinois has been for a while. Uh, The last team I wanted to bring up, I thought was interesting. Our texters guessed Northwestern 11th in the recruiting rankings, which is still low, but also I think is a, is, is a pretty good estimation of where you think that they would fall in the recruiting rankings. And it gives, you know, that's why we respect kind of the success they had. They're actually 13th. The only program in the Big Ten worse in the recruiting rankings over the last five years than Northwestern is Illinois. 
So I don't, in, in some ways, I think if that could bolster Doug's argument that, man, maybe they're just the one, if you get the one recruiting class, you hit a couple of like big blue chip guys, the, the Andrew Luck kind of thing. If you, you could, you have, could that be a Stanford kind of run? But I also think it might bolster my argument that the ceiling is much lower than the Stanford thing, because I just don't know that they will ever recruit to that level. Well, but the thing is, they've never gone to the Big Ten championship game two out of three years. Like, they're peaking right now. Yeah. Right? This is a consistent peak for them. And then the question is, it's just like what happened with D'Antonio at Michigan State. And it's a hard for programs like this. Michigan State was winning 10 games a year with three-star guys. They start winning 10 games a year. And then the big thing was they got Malik McDowell, right, who was like a top 50 national recruit. They got a five-star guy. And they start, you know, let's take some of these guys. Thad Mata ran into it. Thad Mata is doing great with Ohio guys. You start going for national guys. You miss. Sometimes it's hard when you do something so well, you might start attracting the interest of a higher level of player. But if sort of you've been doing it with a lower level of player, sometimes you lose your soul in pursuit of greater talent. And then you no longer are who you are. Or you keep your culture, just add a little better talent on top of it. And you take the next step. But I think it's possible that Northwestern can recruit off what they've done lately because they have never done this before. I also think they might go ahead. Doug, if you... No, that's all. That's all. Okay. I'm looking something up. Go ahead. They might be the exception because of what we've been talking about with them going on and finding a five-star transfer. And that's how they're able to keep their culture. If they're continuing to recruit classes that are maybe middle of the road, big 10 teams, but guys who fit what they want to do at Northwestern, they just topple that on. They just, put the cherry on top is an elite level quarterback who just went to court the transfer portal. That's a way that they can offset the fact that they're probably not going to have the best recruiting classes in the world. Man. I just, I, I know what you're saying about the transfer quarterback thing, but that just cannot be what you rely on. And I think the programs who've gotten that guy and it's worked Ohio state, Oklahoma, where were those teams recruiting leading up to then getting that five-star quarterback on top of all that? Like it's a different level of football. And I, but, but at the same time, I, I really am sitting the fence on this one because I have a lot of respect for Pat Fitzgerald and what Doug was talking about with like what happened at Michigan State and, and how they kind of lost their soul a little bit. I don't really know that I fear that for Northwestern. I feel like the, I think Pat Fitzgerald is one of the underrated coaches in college football. And I'm and like, I sincerely say, like on Wednesday, like I, I sort of hope that this actually comes to fruition. I hope what Doug is talking about happens because I think it would be great for the Big Ten. I just am still very pessimistic Thank that you. it will happen. You're very opaque that it'll happen. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised by that, though. I definitely am surprised that they were 13th. I would have guessed more like 9th or 10th. Mm -hmm. uh, Rashawn Slater, who's going to be a top 15 pick in this draft, the number 654 overall player in the class of 2017. Offensive tackle, Greg Newsom, who's going to be like a top 50 pick. Cornerback, number 6 658. 694, something like that, also in the 600s in the class of 2018. So they're going to have two guys taken in the first two rounds of this draft who are in the 600s nationally in their recruiting class. The, the thing about Northwestern, though, is, I mean, we do acknowledge that there are, I think there are football players that can go to other Big Ten schools that Northwestern can't have. No, that's a thing. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, uh, but but, but they, there's plenty of good players who could go to Northwestern and yes. they just have to make them choose Northwestern. I think there's a recruiting pod to be done down the line about the Chicago area. As I was thinking about this the other day, we look at how Illinois is, has taken this dip. I think this plays into 
how good Northwestern can actually get, like what's the ceiling can get to. Cause I was thinking the other day, like if, 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 if the Chicago land was really a hotbed of talent right now, I feel like Ohio state would get more guys out of that area and they don't really get anybody. Like who, who is Ohio state gotten of note out of the Chicago area? I mean, tough Borland was a Chicago suburban guy. It, it's, it, I was actually surprised when I looked back on it and saw how few guys Ohio state has gotten out of Chicago in recent years. Yeah, no, that's true. I don't even Eric Kumaro. Joey Bosa, no Nick Bosa's uncle. Okay. Uh, like in, in the eighties, but yeah, no t- point taken. No, you're right. It's not. I feel like, it, yeah. I feel like there should be like a bunch of five-star offensive linemen that Nebraska or Northwestern could compete for up there. And I think that not happening is, is, is maybe playing into this. I mean, if we said how many, how many guys from St. Louis are on this Ohio state roster? That's yeah. what it is. Six. It's, it's, that's what you got to add in. It's, it's, it's the Illinois Missouri. So, but also, but why aren't, so yes, A, that shows that there's an opportunity for both Illinois and Northwestern to to fight for kids in the St. Louis market, but B, why are there six kids from St. Louis and none from Chicago? Is it that there's better players in St. Louis than there are in Chicago? Is there something more attractive about the St. Louis market that Ohio State happens to be in there? I don't know what the answer is, but Nathan, I think, are you raising the point that maybe there aren't as many good players in Chicago, that there's more good players in St. Louis? I almost and I, I, I'm thinking back through like scrolling through Twitter and maybe somebody did some reporting on this recently that there is kind of a talent dip in the Chicago area right now and that that might be an underlying current of what's going on at Illinois because Illinois, you know, who should be getting those players out of St. Louis, like who should be fighting Ohio State off of those guys, Illinois and Nebraska, those all those guys who are like, that's a lot of talent that could be going to either one of those bad programs that have been going to a program that in some ways doesn't necessarily need him. Like Mookie Cooper comes here, doesn't go to Illinois or Nebraska. And now he's not in the big 10 at all. For what it's worth in the modern era, there have been seven people from Illinois who have come to Ohio state. And secondly, the modern I've, era since when, since when, since 2000. All right. Yeah. Should I try to name him? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yes. Yes. Actually, let's see how many you can get. And no, I'm, I'm not going to be able to get any of them because like, I'm trying to think of even like who's popping to mind beyond tough Moreland, tough. Borland. How many of them are top 100 players, Steven? Three. three of them are top 100 players. Oh, I'll give you um, 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 Tommy Shutt was a top mm-hmm. 100 player. He's from Correct. Illinois. Is there get... who one's a, one's an offensive lineman and the other one's a defensive lineman. And then the one who's in the top 200, he has a very memorable play in Ohio State history. Uh, now I'm going to feel stupid. I can't. Is there a guy named I can't remember. Uh, I'm not gonna be able to get it. Go ahead. Just tell me. Okay, Jamarco Jones in 2014. Oh, yeah. Oh, shoot. Um, Garrett Gobel in tw- 2008. Garrett Gobel. Garrett Gobel. Gobel. That's who yeah. I was thinking of. I was thinking there's a guy named Grant. No, Garrett Gobel I should have gotten. And Jamarco I should have gotten too. Yeah, and then uh, you really should have gotten this one. Evan Spencer in 2011. Oh, uh, well, he – yeah. But he counts, of course, but kind of doesn't count. Dad coached here. Dad played Okay, here. oh, but, nah, We'll but take that his, one out of there. He was from Illinois because his dad was coaching for the Bears. So it's like it's not, but Evan Spencer's so like he's the Sam McCullough. He's, no, he's it, from it, like wherever this, his dad's coaching for the Hoosiers. Yeah. Okay. Wherever the Spencers lived, I think Evan Spencer was going to be a Buckeye. Okay. But, but Garrett That's, Goble, Tommy Shutt was a big get. Tommy Shutt okay. was a big deal. So, Buckeye fans. How we just described Evan Spencer, that's how you think about Desan McCullough. He's just rated 60 spots higher in the rankings to that point. But also, I think Chicago is maybe more of a basketball city that might have something to do. I mean, all that talent just is indoors dribbling a ball instead of putting a helmet on. Yeah, I don't know if we did a list of who are the 10 best players from the Chicago area in the last 10 years. I'm not even sure where that list would start. So, yeah. That's going to wrap up this edition of the BFFs podcast. 
Stephen Means and I will be back next week, next Friday, for another recruiting hit. I don't know if Doug will be there. He's kind of our – he's not our – it's like Buckeye Futures – or not not best friends forever. He's like best friends sometimes. Best friends for milkshakes. He's BFS. Best, best friends when we need something. Yeah. That's my whole life, by the way. It's like that's, te- teenagers everywhere. That's my it's existence. All, all teenage friendships. But come back tomorrow for the Saturday, the weekend edition of Buckeye Talk. And for that, I'm Nathan Baird. He's Stephen Means and Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.